You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome to the Testudo Times Weekly Podcast. I'm Matt Levine alongside Lila Bromberg and Cody Wilcox. We'll start by recapping Maryland's big loss in football against Minnesota. Then we'll get to some women's soccer with a special guest that will be joining us and basketball as well. But we'll start with the recap. 52 to 10, a terrible loss for this football team again. What did you guys see from this game? I mean, I knew that Minnesota had not played uh, the best caliber of teams, but just based on how Maryland has played, I did not have high hopes and, uh, the game was even more disappointing than I could expect. They played uh, pretty terribly, you know, allowing as many rushing yards as they did. Just the quarterback issues with the two interceptions. Dante Demas just looked off his game, and um, it was just a very bad game for Maryland. I mean, allowing 52 points, they've just, in all of their losses, have allowed way, way, way too many points. And uh, I honestly thought the like, defense would be more of a strength for this team this season with bringing in Shaq Smith and Keandre Jones, and they just have seemed non-existent. The defensive line has just been horrific, and I think that really showed against Minnesota. It was just uh, not a pretty game. I think the only thing pretty there was uh, Minnesota's helmets. Yeah, yeah. you knew it was going to be a, a long day when, you know, Piggy threw an interception on the fourth play of the first drive, and obviously it was off Dante Demas's fingertips. Another one was right off his fingertips. He, Like you said, Lila, he had a really rough day. Um, part of that wasn't technically on Piggy, but it it wasn't a good showing for the Terps in any form. The only good thing that came about that, I think, besides the pretty helmets that you alluded to, Lila, is the touchdown from Tyler DeSue to Teon Fleet Davis. Uh, it was The game was far over, but that was one highlight that came from the day. One thing that really stands out to me, and I mentioned this a little bit at the start, is the 326 rushing yards allowed. But as the most rushing yards that Maryland has allowed in a game all season, um, you know, against Penn State, it was uh, in the, you know, around like the 190s. So significantly more rushing yards than they've allowed in any game this season. And at the beginning of the year, that was actually strength for Maryland. Leading up to that Penn State game, they were in the top 10 in the country in terms of rushing yards allowed and rushing yards allowed per attempt. And we've just seen that completely drop off. And, you know, Minnesota only had 117 passing yards, but that's just because they were kind of doing whatever they wanted to with the run. And so now as we think about this upcoming week, we know that there's been secondary issues, but if now these, you know, these issues are popping up where you can't stop the run. I mean, your defense is just completely helpless. Like, 52 points, and uh, they were just able to use the Wildcat play to just run all over them, which, and Maryland just never caught on to it, no matter how many times Minnesota kept running that same thing. So, it, it was just bad, and I think it's just, I don't, like I said, I said this, what, it was before Indiana, but I said I didn't think they are going to win another game this season, and I really don't think they will. Yeah, it was tough, because they brought in Seth Green, who's, Six foot four, two hundred and forty pounds, an enormous human that is gonna. It's just so tough to tackle. And as Loxley would say, a physical specimen. Yes, exactly. But <laughs> each time they would be leading with, you know, another back or another fullback, and they'd go right up the left or right up the right, and and it didn't appear that Maryland made adjustments when that was the formation. But they, like you said, Lila, if they they've been struggling all year with the pass 
with young defensive backs back there with Marcus Lewis and now you know Tino Ellis is out for the rest of the season uh, from a couple weeks prior it's just not gonna look well with the hardest part of their schedule coming up and they can't even stop the run now along with the pass right and on offense I mean how concerning is it the game that Dante Dimas had for you Matt well you guys alluded to it before and I, I don't find it too concerning because he he is he is a solid player he's one of their best receivers and I think one game you can't really say oh it's too concerning but something that Loxley said post game is kind of concerning to me and he said about uh, about Demas he said quote your best players should play at their best he's a receiver he's paid to make those catches and he's a guy who's made a bunch of plays for us he's paid to make those catches I'm not sure if that was a slip up by Loxley I don't know if he actually meant that he is paid oh, come but on he's not being paid it's just that like saying that can actually put Maryland under investigation if somebody goes and looks into this but I think I'm taking it a little too far than it needs to be taken. Let's not make this football team so worse that, than it already is, I Matt. I think <laughs> that is more concerning than Demas dropping passes. Well, here's my thing, right? Like, I've talked about this. They need to be using the tight ends more. In that game, it's not just the two interceptions that come off of Demas's hands. The entire game, he's dropping passes. He doesn't look good. You're against a Minnesota team that, you know, repeatedly you have announcers saying how big of a Minnesota team this is in terms of, you know, weight and height. So why aren't you bringing the tight ends? Why aren't you trying to incorporate that part of your game? I get that you're trying to use them in blocking, but like if you're up against a team with so much of a size advantage over you and Dante Demas is having a piss poor game, just run a play or two to a tight end. They didn't try like once. I don't think they've tried since Syracuse. They did a little bit against Indiana. And remember I texted you and I was like, Loxley's listening to us. He's wearing a different color and he's using the tight ends a bit more. But then this week it completely dropped off again. And when I asked Loxley about it this season, he was like, I don't know why you guys make such a big deal about the tight ends. We just do it to game situations. But this was a game situation where you should have been using tight ends, in my opinion. And another thing is, Loxley said at the beginning of the year, if you want to scout Maryland offense, watch Alabama offense. They incorporate the tight ends. Oh, just so many similarities right now, right, guys? <laughs> yes, but he hasn't done that. In the game against Minnesota, four players caught passes. It was two wide receivers and two running backs. No. Not even an attempt to a tight end, correct? I'm not so sure about that, but nobody else caught passes besides Tayon. Carlos, I always have trouble with his last name. Carrier. 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 Dante Dimas and Anthony McFarlane, but nobody else caught passes for the Terps, which is kind of strange to me because at the beginning of the year, they had such a balanced offense where they were spreading the ball around, and now it just seems like it's going to just a few players here and there. I think that might have to do something with the quarterback situation and how it's whether it's Jackson who's coming off injury or Pigram who just got hurt, but they were practicing with different units all week. No one knew who was starting, so that kind of might be a reason why Demas also struggled and a reason that it wasn't balanced on offense because they're not really in a rhythm with one quarterback. It's kind of up in the air. And I think someone needs to figure out who's starting this week. They need to figure that out as soon as they can. Or if it's chosen on Saturday morning again, they're going to come out and be slow. Well, I think that is what's going to happen, though, is that it's going to be a late decision. It seems like that's kind of Loxley's style. He said today that, you know, Tyrell Pigram, who had left for the second quarter of a knee injury, he said that um, he is limited right now, um, but he, you know, there's no structural damage and that he is expected to be ready 
uh, for Saturday. He said that currently uh, Jackson is uh, throwing with the first team and Tyler DeSue is with the second. And he said, again, it's just going to be, you know, a decision where we see throughout the week who's going to give a, give us the best game plan. And like you said, that might not be the best option for them. I was also, and he said that he took Jackson out of that Minnesota game because he just didn't look confident. Um, but now he's gaining some of that back. But I thought Tyler, I mean, I was never that high on Tyler DeSue. Um, I really thought Josh Jackson was going to be better going in. But after seeing him in that game, if Pigram is not at 100% by Saturday, I would much rather see Tyler DeSue start over Jackson. Um, and I think that that also showed in a poll we did on Twitter where over 60% of uh, our readers said that they would prefer to have Tyler start. But then you also have that interesting aspect where uh, – Josh Jackson's whole family is, you know, Michigan people. His father uh, was a running backs coach there. His older brother was a quarterback there. So maybe he'll have extra motivation against Michigan. Um, if all three quarterbacks are healthy, who would you guys like to see start? You want to go first, Matt? You want me to? I'll go first. I think Josh Jackson, he was the guy that they were confident in early on. I mean, he struggled, obviously, against Penn State, but that was that was expected, I feel like. I mean, they came in here and just blew the doors off everyone on this Terps team. So I think if he's healthy enough, you give him the start. You don't just lose your starting job because you had one bad game. It's not one, though. Look or, at Temple. He was fine, so bad against Temple. Two bad games, and then you get injured. I don't think you can lose your job that easily, especially in a level of football like Division One. But if it was high school, yeah, you you try to switch something up. But I don't know if the confidence is still there in him, but Loxley always said that they had to be confident in Josh Jackson. I don't know if he's still saying that, but I think that has they have to go back to that if they want to generate any kind of points on the scoreboard. And you make a good case, man. I will say that because, honestly, I'm saying Tyler DeSue. He, he throws a pretty ball. That's That has nothing to do with this, but I think he throws the prettiest ball on the team. But, uh, you know, Jackson had shown what he was able to do, and so had, you know, Piggy. But I think you got to give Tyler, you know, his shot. He didn't get much of a chance um, during Minnesota. Um, to show what he's able to do, and he was what the spring game MVP, correct? Spring, I everyone's know. like, oh, who's the spring game? MVP? I know. I don't but, think the spring game means much. I know, but he still played very well. But Matt also does make a good case in where Jackson shouldn't lose his job. I just, I think, put it this way: if you start Josh Jackson and he doesn't have the first good showing, let's say five drives, they haven't done anything, would you then go to Tyler DeSue, or are you going to Piggy? Okay, so here's what I'm thinking, right? Like, I was really, really intrigued by what Minnesota was doing with Wildcat, right? You have Pigram, a guy who has incredible speed. Why don't you run something like that with him, honestly? Like, as a special option thing to bring things up, and I know Mike Loxley has done some special options with Pigram, but, like, incorporate that more if he's healthy. Because that Wildcat was really throwing Maryland off. You have a really experienced defense in Michigan, and so I say you know, throw things off a little bit, do something like that. And going back and forth, I do think that just with the team Michigan is as good as Tyler Sue did look, I, I do have to agree now that I'm thinking about it more that maybe Jackson should start just because I think he'll have the motivation with a family history against Michigan. And also I think that you do not want to give Tyler to Sue his first career start against a team like Michigan. I don't think it's going to go over well, but I think if, I think you work in Pigram on, um, 
because Pickham just hasn't shown he can front, so I don't think he should start. And but I think that you work him in in that wildcat way, and then if you have Josh Jackson starting to have a bad game, you throw in Tyler Sue. And and one thing I will say is you said Piggy and the Wildcat. I think the reason the Wildcat was so effective against Minnesota is because the dude was six foot four, two forty. Well, you and can Piggy, run it a different way. I but... know, but Piggy's five ten, two oh nine. Like, but his speed. He he is speedy, but I think they were running it right up the gap, right up the middle. And if you're gonna do that with Piggy, I think you need to go around the edge a little bit. More. Yeah, you don't need. To, I'm not saying it has to be right up the middle, but I'm mm-hmm. saying use them in a special way like that and do it more than just once or twice and a they, game. They were starting to do that a little bit, but yeah. I can definitely see what you mean, incorporating that more into the offensive scheme. And we'll get more into previewing that in a little bit. But Matt and I, we were at the open practice for Maryland basketball when we were at media day. I think we got what what Cody like maybe a five or ten minute scrimmage something like that it wasn't long it wasn't too long but we got to see a 20 minute scrimmage at the open practice what were the biggest takeaways for you Matt I think it's the first one was just how physical they look and how big they look bigger than last year in terms of the returning players but I think it's also the, the main player that stuck out the whole time was Aaron Wiggins he looked unbelievable he shot the ball so well behind the arc he was dunking he was getting alley-oops passed to him he was passing really well and aside from him it was Anthony Cowan the ability he's communicating more I feel like he was talking more to his players he was telling them which way to go around a screen or they were just talking a lot more and I think that was it was really noticeable and I think it'll go a long way if they're doing that early on this year yeah the same things that you said really stuck out for me I mean you said this to me earlier today, Aaron Wiggins looked like a top draft pick in that scrimmage, and, you know, we don't know if that's going to happen against bigger teams, but, I mean, he missed what? I think he missed one three. He was on fire behind the arc. He is one play that just really stuck out to me, uh, where he gets the ball, he's driving in the paint, he is really smart and sees that there's a bit of a size mismatch, and he throws a beautiful pass back to Sticks, who takes a three, misses it, Aaron Wiggins goes in the paint, and bodies his way to uh, get the put back. And that play just was incredible, um, like you said. And also Jalen Smith looked really good in the paint. Um, wasn't looking as good from behind the arc as I would have liked to see. Um, but his shot looked decent. And then uh, just in the paint, though, you could see uh, the athleticism. You could see that he had put on some more weight. And like we said, that was evident for Wiggins as well. And also what you mentioned with Cowan... Not only was he communicating more, but he was passing more. I mean, you look at a game last year, and he's, you know, holding the ball most of the time, and he knew he had a young team around him. And when I talked to his mom uh, earlier this year, and when I've talked to Church, and they said, you know, last year he didn't have the same trust in the players around him. But he has more of a trust in these players now, and you could see it in that scrimmage. You could see that, you know, he wasn't doing what he would normally do, where he just goes in and tries to make a shot for himself. He's genuinely passing the ball over and over again, and the ball movement looked really improved. But the one thing I want us to discuss is Mark Turgeon said that he plans to have his team play faster. Um, And he said that a lot. He said that year after year and has shown that he doesn't really have the ability to coach that way. Um, But he told media when I asked him that he believes now he has the depth to do so and has been making it more of an emphasis in practice. Players, uh, Aaron Wiggins was saying that they've been playing a lot faster in practice. Is it possible for him to actually be able to run a fast break and want run a faster team this year, given the depth that he has? I think they should get out and transition more, especially with 
you know, Anthony Cowan and Eric Ayala, you know, taking the majority of the ball handling duties. But with shooters like Aaron Wiggins and, and like I said, Cowan and other players like that, hopefully Daryl Morsell develops more of a shot. I think getting out in transition will be big for them, you know, to continue their success this year. But the biggest thing I want to see if they do that is to see how Jalen Smith runs the floor because if he's able to run the floor, you know, defensive presence, but if he's able to run the floor, he'll get rewarded as well. I I don't know if I necessarily believe Turgeon, though, because we obviously haven't seen the team. We won't see the team till Friday, their first, you know, official exhibition game. But I, I don't know if I'm really believing him. Matt, what do you think? I think if he were to say this about any team and be close to meaning it, it'd be this one that he's had because they are bigger, stronger, and faster this year. And I think that was very noticeable in the open practice. They just look like they want to win. And they were playing that way, just in even in a scrimmage against each other. And he was saying that even they weren't playing their best and that he yeah. wasn't loving everything he's seeing, but they still look pretty darn good. So, I mean, those are things that obviously the Turgeon notices is when they're not playing that great. But the fans will look at it and say, oh, they were amazing. So I think in terms of what I saw, they looked really solid in, for a first scrimmage against each other. And when they start to play other teams and see a different jersey on the other side of the floor, I think they're, they're hungry and they want to win. That will allow them to play faster. Not necessarily Turgeon coaching them because you can't really teach. You can teach speed in a way in terms you of footwork. You can play plays for it. You can plan the speed, but it's going to come from the players. It's not, it's not going to be Turgeon that has he has some sort of an impact but it's more of the players wanting to win and that will allow them to play faster and i think not only the speed and strength that you mentioned but the fact that there's more depth right you don't have to worry about guys getting winded as much because if you have a guy that is really running the fast break and is running hard you can take him out for a few minutes because you have the depth to do that like he said he has a depth this year where he can make substitutions and the team can actually get better and i think maybe that'll give him more trust in running the fast break but we as Cody said, have the exhibition on Friday. We will be there uh, covering it. You know, we'll have our photo and video team there. We will be tweeting. We will have some takeaways in the feature coming after. And I think that'll be really exciting. You know, as we record this today, we are just a week away from the start of the season. When this comes out, it'll be six days. And I think everyone is building some anticipation, especially with where uh, football is at right now. I think everyone's just hunkering down for some basketball season. I think everybody's just turned their attention to basketball season, if we're being honest. Yeah, even the media, like openly in the media room, everyone's just like, yeah, we're just we're just waiting for basketball at this point. Yeah, and like you said, less than a or a week from today, it should be exciting, you know, with Cowan especially picking up a, a few couple accolades and things like that. But, you know, the one player that, and I mentioned this on the podcast last week, but the one player <laughs> I'm most excited to see on Friday... Besides Eric Ayala, we, we've already established that. Yes, right? he is your man crush. Yes, and Matt, who you just told me yours. You want to share yours? It's yeah, you, you said it last week. Yeah, Aaron Wiggins Darryl is Morsell. mine. Daryl Morsell is yours. He got some recognition from Andy Katz this week, too, uh, being named one of the breakout stars for this, for this year. But the player on Friday I'm most excited to see, and I know you guys are excited to see Aaron Wiggins, but I want to see Dante Scott in action. I am so the in the closed game scrimmage, you know, he had done some, he had put up a couple points and grabbed some boards. But I'm so excited to see how Turgeon uses him and what he really brings to the team. 
he's six foot seven, two hundred and twenty five pounds, and he plays like a guard. And I think that's why he, I think he's going to be very exciting. I mean, he can shoot in the open practice before they scrimmaged. He was shooting the lights off the lights out of the ball. Really, every shot he was taking just it went in, and some of them didn't even hit the net. They just went through the middle of the net, and I'm I don't really see that too much. It was it was impressive, and I think. With his size and the way he plays in a small, he plays like a smaller guard, like the way Cowan would play or the way Ayala would play. But he's huge, and he he weighs as much as Jalen Smith. So I think he can really guard bigger guys, and he can play offense like a smaller guard. And I think that'll be a mismatch, really, if they have him on the floor. I think he's one of the freshmen that gets into the rotation. Now everyone is excited for this Maryland men's basketball season that could possibly be a historic one. And right now, a non-revenue team, Maryland women's soccer, is in the midst of a historic season. And we have beat writer Mike Tumi here to tell us a bit about th- about this. Why is this such a big season for Maryland women's soccer right now? Yeah, well, Lila, like you said, this is such a big season for Maryland. You know, they've been in the Big Ten now for... Uh, five years and you know they've been working every single year in this conference and this and like it's not easy you know like they're going up against like a ranked team almost every single game they're playing these teams every single weekend on the road it's not easy but this year you know for the first time since they joined the conference they're making the tournament which is you know so huge for them and it's not even huge you know like because they're in it it's huge because of they weren't supposed to be in it um in the preseason they were ranked to finish second to last in the conference and you know now they're in the tournament and they're ranked sixth and that's such a huge win for them because they haven't done it in the first couple years since they were in the big 10 and now with head coach ray leone here it's his sixth team his fourth year at maryland his five other schools before coming here he totally turned those programs around you know, every single team that he's been a head coach on has made a postseason appearance. Uh, now, in his fourth season with the Terps, he's finally, you know, making that next step and making it into the Big Ten tournament. And do you think that this team, you know, has the ability to, you know, make an impact in the Big Ten tournament at all? I know that they, you know, coming in as a sixth seed, you know, are going to have a little tough go of it in terms of who they're facing. Yeah, so... I do believe that they could do well. Um, and, you know, the stats don't really help with that. Um, but, you know, just from watching them every single game this year, I really think that this team is different than in the past years. Um, they have 10 different players that have scored a goal this year, which is, you know, a crazy high number. Uh, last year, the leading scorer uh, graduated with five goals. Uh, only two other players had multiple goals. Now a bunch of them have, you know, many, many goals this season. The leading scorer, um, Alyssa Porch, the junior, with eight goals. She's having a crazy good year. Um, she's just totally leading the attack, scoring at will on teams. Then you have the other side of the forward position, Michaela Days, who also has a very high number of goals with five. She's really stepped it up this year. Um, and the two of them have really been leading the attack into what can be a special run in the Big Ten tournament, even though, like I said, the stats aren't on their side. You know, since September of 2017, Maryland's won two games on the road. 
Um, one both of them, have been the season, right? Or was just one the season? Uh, both have been the season, yeah. Um, the first one came in kind of dramatic fashion against the number 20th ranked team in the country, Rutgers. You know, they go in there not having won a road game in over two years, go in there, pick up a huge win, the biggest one of the season for Maryland, going up against uh, a ranked opponent. They're only ranked one of the year. And then uh, in two games ago, and they traveled to Michigan State, who right now sits at the bottom of the conference, they picked up a huge win there, which was actually the game in which they clinched their berth into the postseason. But on the road, it's been tough. The team they're playing will be tough against Michigan. Michigan has been at the top of the conference for a number of years. You know, they're really good at home. They're have only lost two games at home this season. They've really looked strong. And I think it's going to be a really good game. Do you think that there's going to be like an extra motivation for Maryland heading into that? Like what kind of, have you seen it all like a confidence change of his team over the course of a season or just like an excitement in you know, finally reaching the fruition of this rebuild that's taken so long? Yeah, so the course of the season has, I think, changed in the players' eyes. Um, every single time I talk to Ray, every single time he says, you know, we're going to take out one game at a time. We're not going to look into the future. We're not going to, you know, think about what's coming next week, what's coming the week after that. Uh, we're going to try to take it. This next game is all that matters. That's all that we really care about. That's all that we're going to be thinking about now. Uh, even when he won his 300th win this season, I asked him, you know, coach, how do you feel about it? He said, it's nice, but it's time to move on to the next game. So I feel like for him, it's been a very day by day process. But for the players, I, I can tell they're super excited. Um, I've been talking to senior midfielder Darby Moore a lot. And when I asked her about what it meant to make it to the tournament she she was all she was all all smiles she was saying that you know in her fourth year this has meant so much to her this has been the driving force for the whole team for such a big senior class um it's really meant a lot to them to make this next step and so you know if there's any chance if they were able to get past michigan they then you know play at rutgers um you know, is there any chance we see this team going far and possibly, you know, making an NCAA tournament or just with the record they have now and things like that? Or do you think that's still a little bit out of reach? Well, I think in order to get to Rutgers, it's going to be a huge matchup against Michigan. Michigan was the team that they played last in Ann Arbor. Um, they they went there on Sunday, faced a really good Michigan team, lost 4-1. to one. Uh, Wasn't really the way that they wanted to end the season. But, you know, they go there, they see how they play, they get used to what's going on in Ann Arbor, um, what it's like. They've played Michigan since sort of the Big Ten. You know, they have yet to beat them. They, you know, went there last year and they lost, and then they didn't play in 2017, and then they lost two straight home games in 2015 and 16. Um, but they have just been... A really special team this year, um, and although the last time out against Michigan wasn't the outcome that they wanted, I think after seeing this team and you know looking at film and looking at how they played and how they lost that game, I think that if they can pick up this huge win, then they'll be off and running when they go to face Rutgers. Yeah, what do you guys think of just the tournament Maryland women's soccer is having? I remember before the season, um, 
I, I thought they were going to be really bad because, like you said, they lose their leading scorer, and there's a big question of who's going to step up and fill that role, and we were like, okay, you know, Alyssa Porch, uh, is twins, but you've seen just so much more production from other people. You've seen Aaron Seppi step into a starting goalkeeper role and really look incredible. Uh, she's won Big Ten uh, goalkeeper of the week, I think, twice. Yeah, twice. Um, and this team has just completely defied my expectations, and I think it's been really fun to watch. Well, I think what Mike said earlier is that it's not so crazy that they got into the tournament, but it's more crazy that they weren't supposed to. And you look at their schedule, and they've beaten teams that they weren't supposed to beat. And that's obviously head, headlined by Rutgers. So I think it's just resiliency, the ability to lose a game and then come back and beat a team that's better than them. And I think that goes a long way, could potentially help against Michigan because now they've, they've seen Michigan, obviously, in their last game. They know what they're going to bring. They can prepare better for that game. So, I mean, I think they have a chance to win that game and maybe take on Rutgers again and potentially beat Rutgers again. So... I think if a team is going to make a magical run in the tournament, it will be Maryland because the odds or the ball is rolling in their favor. It seems like every game they play a team that's better than them. Yeah, uh, I had a question for Mike, though, because I experienced the uh, Purdue game up close in the rain. And I was just curious, (laughs) Mike, to, you know, that game kind of, it allowed them to get into the Big Ten tournament. So did you see anything different after that game from the team because it it took a lot of for lack of a better word grit to get that win uh out on Ludwig Field and I just wanted to know what you saw from the team after that yeah so like you said that was such a huge win for them um that really pushed them into uh then winning the game against Michigan State and what's funny is the crazy stat from that game is that was the first time all season in which Maryland went down and then made the full comeback and won the game. And I think that really is going to show what they can do in the Big Ten tournament because they're going up against such a good team in Michigan where, you know, odds are they're going to go down um, first before they get a goal. And when they were playing Purdue, they do go down, and we're thinking, um, like, wow, like this is it. Like, they made such a good run, and yet – you know, they're down and they're not going to come back because as like the story has showed, they can't do that. And I feel like that win and when they came back in such a dramatic fashion in the pouring rain, the conditions were horrible. Um, it can really show that this team can do anything against anyone at any given time. Yeah, and I think that's interesting because one thing you would always write in gamers and, and previews was that this team is successful when they score early. And they clearly have been, but you're right. In a game like Michigan, that likely isn't going to be the case. And I so I think having that confidence from Purdue will be big and we'll be watching that game. I guess we've got a lot of Michigan games this weekend as that game, I believe, is going to be set for Sunday. Uh, we haven't received an official schedule yet, but that will be coming out on the same day that this podcast comes out. So we'll get back to Michigan and start talking this Michigan football game and previewing that. And I have to say, I don't think it's going to be that pretty of a showing. I think this will be a complete slaughtering by the Wolverines. So wait, last week, it was last week. No, it was two weeks ago, it was Indiana week. Last week was Indiana. It was last week. No, two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> Minnesota, then Indiana. Yeah, exactly. So is this like unofficially, officially Michigan week? 
Well, we won't I know. I guess we won't know until Wednesday. And the soccer schedule comes out. But, but like, I feel I'm, Mike was saying that he's pretty sure that it's locked, so maybe it is Michigan week. And am I wrong? Isn't Doesn't men's soccer play Michigan at some point? I'm pretty sure they do. So it might be Michigan week. It's unofficially, officially Michigan week. We think. Anyways, <laughs> back to the Michigan football game. You know, it's definitely not going to be pretty. Maryland's coming off the loss against Minnesota. Michigan's coming off the huge win against Notre Dame where they just looked in control the entire game. And like you said, it, it won't be pretty. And yes, the, it is Michigan week. It is Michigan week. They play men's soccer plays uh, Michigan on Sunday after taking on Penn State, what will be uh, Tuesday evening. But yes, it it So, so we two soccer say. games against Michigan on Sunday, pretty much. Two, two very big soccer games against Michigan. Uh, but yeah, so... Back to the football game, you know, we we all are agreement that Michigan's a better team. Uh, you know, they're coming off the bigger win, so we'll just have to see, I guess, how bad of a loss Maryland will take, essentially. Yeah, I have to say, earlier in the season, like, I thought that this Michigan team was not good. I didn't think they were as good. I still don't think they're incredible, but, I mean, you look at it, they only beat Middle Tennessee State 40-21, to and then... You know, they beat Army barely in overtime, 24-21 to 21 in, in double overtime. Then they lose to Wisconsin. Uh, you know, they obviously get the win against Rutgers. They then are able to beat Iowa 10-3. to 3. Uh, Then a win against Illinois. Uh, and then get, you know, beaten by Penn, Penn State 28-21. And I think that's when my thoughts for their season started to be like, okay, maybe they are developing a bit more. Because uh, I honestly thought that Penn State was going to slaughter them in that game. Uh, but it was only a seven-point game, and they were able to almost mount a comeback. I think they just lost on a drop pass. And then they come and just destroy uh, a ranked Notre Dame team. Uh, Notre Dame was ranked uh, number eight at the time and just slaughtered them 45-14. to 14. And so that just tells me, like, if they can do that to a Notre Dame team, like, they're, they're going to slaughter Maryland. I mean, there's no easy way to to say that in in any sport, really, just there's no like you literally can't pick Maryland in this game there is no chance absolutely no chance Michigan is so overpowering compared to them especially in the state of the way Maryland is playing football right now if it was week three and this this matchup was there I think I'd I would say that Maryland would win and they'd have a much better shot it'd be a competitive game but they've dealt with so many injuries they've dealt with everyone doubting them now and They've even had their head coach say it's a rebuilding year. And I think once it got to that point, it kind of fell off. And I think Lila might be right that they don't win another game all year. And just to play devil's advocate here, I will say that last year, nobody thought Maryland would even compete with uh, you know, Dwayne Haskins and the Ohio State Buckeyes. And they almost, they were one, one throw away from a win against them. Now I'm not saying Maryland will upset Michigan, but I'm not saying it is not happening. Is not out of the question. I'm gonna say it's out of the question well, because I think that Maryland team, while they are going for turmoil and things like that, I think they just were a more complete team than I think you've really felt the loss of Darnell Savage. Uh, you've just had so many injuries. I just I don't think they're as good of a team right now. And this is homecoming, so they're displaying these very fresh jerseys. 
Lila, you like to talk about the jerseys a lot. Do you have any takes yes, on that? Yes, that's a big thing for Cody and I. We're, we're big uh, jersey uniform people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the 80s throwbacks. Big fan. Uh, sadly, I think they're going to get embarrassed in them and kind of embarrassed in front of a homecoming crowd. It's weird. You know, someone asked Locks today, like, did you purposely make Michigan the homecoming game? He said he didn't have a hand in the scheduling of it or anything. It's a weirdly late homecoming coming in November, uh, but I, I think it's going to be a waste of those jerseys, sadly. I mean, if you just... If you look at Michigan and their defense, they're, they rank uh, among the top 25 nationally in 10 uh, defensive categories, right? So in total defense, they're eighth. Uh, pass defense, they're sixth in the country. Uh, they've only allowed eight passing touchdowns and, you know, 12 rushing touchdowns. And they've. this is the big thing that stands out to me that I think is really, really going to get Maryland. They have forced a turnover or punt on 71.7% of opponent drives, which is the seventh highest percentage in the country. Even against bad teams like Purdue or uh, Indiana or, you know, in a game against Minnesota, that's better. Like, Maryland just can't seem to get this third down conversion right. They just can't seem, like, they start the uh, Minnesota game, you know, with a turnover and then, you know, the next drive or... I think they get like one first down and then turn it over again. Um, I think it was on downs that time. Then they've another interception there. So that I think that's a really bad sign for Maryland going into that because they've really struggled with interceptions this year. They've uh, allowed an interception in the past three games. They've had, uh, you know, five in those games and just really have not looked good on that. And in terms of execution, and I think that Michigan is a team that can really take advantage of that. And back to the jerseys for one second. I will say that I am part of the bandwagon that says the helmets that Maryland, the throwback helmets that Maryland are going to wear on Saturday should be their full-time helmets. I agree. I think those are solid helmets. I would also love to see some, like, I loved the helmets that Purdue had in Minnesota have, like that cool chrome thing. Yes. I'd love to see something with that. And another jersey I would love to see Maryland bring back were those all-white ops. Those were lo- Cody loves all white jerseys, so I know he agrees with me on this. Like these are great, but in terms of like having a jersey that you can like wear more often, bring back the all whites. I'm a big fan. I mean, you said it. I love the all white jerseys, and I I know this probably won't go over well with our listeners, but I honestly think the best jerseys in all of college football is Penn State's all whites. Uh, but yes, they can bring that back now. On to the defense, though. I will say my man crush of the week. We have Cameron McGrone. I hope I pronounced the last name correctly. But I watched him this past weekend against Notre Dame. He was all over the field. His speed was everywhere. He's a six foot one sophomore. He had 12 total tackles against Notre Dame. And a lot of people are, were kind of concerned about the loss of Devin Bush this past year. But this guy flies around. And I'm really excited to see what he shows against uh, the Terps on Saturday because I think he could be one of the players that has a big impact on the game and possibly shuts down Maryland's uh, rushing game. Well, I think it's pretty simple to to stop the rushing game at this point with how many injuries they've had. and It, it went from being one of the – they had five running backs. It went from being one of the best crews in the country to being – I don't think anyone talks about them anymore. So, I mean, I mean, you still have, Leak has been impressive, and if you can have McFarland come back, but yes, he's not at one hundred percent. It's right. definitely depleted. I know. It's depleted. I know Cody and... is missing Jake Funk. 
it's they haven't been able to get past anyone since really week two. And I don't know if that's the offensive line or if it's the running backs. And I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to point fingers at who it is, but I think someone needs to be better, whether it is the ball carriers trying to dodge tackles or the offensive line blocking better. But the offensive line has had so many injuries as well. I think this whole season has just been turned around by these injuries and having to play guys that aren't their number one. And I think this defense for Michigan is going to overpower Maryland on every side, whether they're throwing or running the ball. And we mentioned the interceptions, and you've also seen just some mishaps uh, with fumbles for Maryland, right? You know, that's how they lose that Indiana game is that fumble at the end. And not only has the Wolverines defense, you know, forced five interceptions this year, they've also forced six fumbles. Um, and then they've had three additional fumbles generated on special teams. So that that's definitely not something working in Maryland's favor. They Michigan has forced multiple turnovers in five of the eight games, including three of the last four, and has forced at least one turnover in six games this season. So are we going to continue to see execution struggles for Maryland in this game against this defense? Absolutely. I think it's it's also their ability to tackle. And they tackle so hard, and they hit the ball carrier so hard, that forces them to fumble. Maryland hasn't really held on to the football in a long time. I think I'm, I keep going back to the week two when they played Syracuse. That was really the only last clean game they've had on offense and defense. So I think, and the quarterbacks have thrown so many more interceptions than they had than they did earlier in the year. They have to be smarter with the ball, and don't be afraid to throw the ball away if you're going to get sacked. Don't. We kept saying that Josh Jackson was forcing the ball to his to his wide receivers, and then it would get intercepted. And now I think Pigram's doing that a lot, or he's just throwing the ball, and no one's really there, and then it gets intercepted. And that's kind of how the last play of Indiana ended. But I think they have to be smarter and not make silly passes. They have to be they have to be very clean with the ball if they want to win. And I'm with you, Lila. You mentioned the uh, fumble by Javon Leak uh, in the Indiana game, but was it? I think it was Piggy tried to hit. Was it Sean Savoy he tried to hit with the interception, the late game interception? Yeah, yeah that that can't happen either. And um, basically, or it may have been Demas. It was one of the two. I, I can't remember who exactly was, but it was way overthrown. And, and I'm with you, Matt. They need to, if they're going to put up some bit of a fight against Michigan, they need to protect the ball better. And if they do that, maybe they'll be able to generate some kind of offense. But we'll have to wait and see. And then you know. I think the Wolverines' offense, you know, obviously not as strong as their defense, but they have a great rushing game. I think that uh, Shea Patterson gets overlooked a little bit. No, he he's not great, no, but no, like he doesn't. Dylan McCaffrey. Okay, better. he's not he's not great, but like he has good receivers. Yeah, he has good receivers like Donovan Peoples Jones, who are going to make things happen. And so, you know, you've got an offense that can put up a decent amount of points too. Um, you know, right now they've been scoring thirty-one points per game. Uh, not incredible seventh in the Big Ten, but you know, still, I think formidable against Maryland. And uh, with that, should we give our predictions? Because honestly, I mean, there's not much more to say about this game. I, it's just against Maryland in every way going into this, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> in agreement. Who wants to start? Should well, I? what was the line at? Twenty-one. Twenty-one. Yeah, it started this week at like seventeen. It's up to twenty-one now. That's that's really embarrassing. But I think it'll be. 
35-7 to because I think Maryland's defense is their last bright spot of their entire team this year. Their defense, the ability to have takeaways. If they can tackle just a little bit better, they'll hold Michigan to 35, but their offense is not capable of scoring against that great defense. So 35-7, to the Wolverines win. And I'm going to go also saying Maryland has seven points, but I'm going to go with 52-7. to Michigan, just based off of what they just did against Notre Dame, Maryland is not even a third of as talented or skilled or well-coached as Notre Dame. And, uh, I mean, I just – the defense has looked really bad. Like I mentioned, they the one thing they could stop was the rush, and they've struggled against that in recent weeks. You saw it in the second half against Indiana. You saw it against Minnesota. So – And obviously the secondary has struggled, so I think they're going to be giving up a lot of points in this game. And with Michigan's defense, I only really see them scoring one touchdown. And I'm going with Maryland to lose big. (laughs) Uh, I think Michigan overwhelms them in every category. Uh, They take the W 45-17. I think Tyler Mabry comes back to the Terps with a touchdown. And by that, I mean he gets more involved in the offense, things like that. But I just don't look for the Terps to pick up a win here. At the beginning of the season, I said that their homecoming uniforms would kind of give them, you know, some extra juice, you know, pump them up a little bit more to hopefully pull off the upset. But I don't see that happening this week. And, yeah. Yeah, I thought so earlier that early in the year, these new uniforms that they're going to wear, that they look just so much better in the beginning. And then it was just injuries and so much just lack of execution on every side. I think we're obviously all in agreement that the Wolverines will come to College Park and just walk all over them. So thank you for joining us on this edition of the Testudo Times podcast. Stay tuned for all the coverage from this week's football game and obviously soccer that we mentioned earlier. Be on the lookout for all of the coverage on our site, testudotimes.com.